the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to the word to stand on for life. When uh, the program was introduced, uh, my producer here said, it's a live call-in show. I said, well, somebody better call so we're not lying. All you have to do to answer, have your questions answered is dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call uh, toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. One button, it says call now on your screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Hope you had a great uh, holiday yesterday. Paul and I just kind of hung out, and and that was uh, cool for us for a Monday. But we are back now, ready to take some questions. So let's get right to our questions. My first question comes from uh, our email inbox anonymously. Uh, he or she says, a friend of mine recommended the CSB Bible is a good Bible to study from. What contemporary Bible would you recommend? Um, anonymous, the CSB is a fine Bible. Um, it's it's uh, written at a level that almost anybody can understand, but I don't have any problem with that. Uh, for more contemporary Bibles, um, especially for the New Testament, would be the New Living Translation. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, um, of course, the 1984 version of the NIV is good for both New and the Old Testament. If you can find it, just don't buy the 2011 version of it, but uh, the 1984 version. Uh, and those are the ones that I would recommend. Uh, but, but but Paula's been, uh, we got her a New Living Translation, and she seems to like it a lot. Uh, it's just a little bit more difficult for me to get used to it because I've got so much of the other one already hidden in my heart and in my mind. But um, I, I hope that helps. The, the Christian Standard Bible is fine, um, but but any of the other Bibles are good. Depends on um, what level you read and what you're comfortable with. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Anytime somebody calls and asks about um, Bible recommendations, I get excited simply because... I want uh, people reading their Bibles. Here is uh, from Richard from our email inbox. Is there a proper way to pray? And are we to follow the Lord's prayer as Jesus said? Uh, Richard, let me tell you from from the beginning, when when we studied the very first time, now I'm going back many, many years, decades, in fact, um, uh, when we first studied the Lord's prayer in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, uh, I got to tell you, it revolutionized my prayer life. Um, uh, it's not a memory thing. And I think that's our problem. Our father, uh, you, you know, especially in a Catholic community, it becomes something we just recite without thinking. But what Jesus is really doing there is giving us um, um, sort of uh, the, the outline 
the skin of a prayer and then he kind of fills in the meat. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, I've actually got a couple of Bible studies on this uh, in our um, uh, on our website, CalvarySA.com. Uh, and uh, I took, I think, Richard, um, four or five weeks to study that prayer with our church here the first time. That's how complete it is. You know, it begins asking a question, our Father, can we say our Father? Do we belong to him? Are we born again? Uh, who art in heaven? Uh, the fact that he is in heaven uh, above our circumstances. He's in heaven with a vantage point to mark out the path that he wants to take. And that's just an example of how he'll fill in. So if you'll pray that prayer, and as you're praying it, sort of pause and let him speak to your heart. Uh, I promise you, Richard, it'll radically revolutionize your prayer life. Nothing has impacted my prayer life um, at one point in my walk with Jesus as much as that did. So um, I think the, the important thing about prayer, Richard, is that we understand there's no proper way, there's no wrong way. The wrong way to pray, of course, is to pray with the wrong heart or with the wrong motives. But But if your heart is right before God, just talk to him. And I think we get caught up, especially younger Christians, I think we get caught up in the right way or the wrong way to do it. And we want to sound spiritual. We want to use King James English. Uh, just talk to Jesus. He's your friend. He's, he's almighty God for sure. But he's also your friend. And I think it delights him when we talk to him as a friend does. Uh, I try, Richard, to carry a conversation uh, going all day throughout the day with the Lord. Um... Uh, every day, you know, I walk to the mailbox, Lord, could this be the day the bazillion dollars are gonna, is going to be there? And, and, and we just talk about things. Um, uh, we're at the gym and we see people, Paul and I will, will, will just be talking to the Lord, praying for, for the people that are there. When, when problems and issues come up uh, with people in the church, we're always at every remembrance of those people, bringing them before the Lord. So it's a, 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 a practice that goes on all day, every day. And, um, Richard, the one thing that will happen if you talk to him a lot is soon your prayers will sound like you actually know him. If you're praying and you sounds like, and, and you know, it's not even bad to record your prayers. We got phones now that can record things. Uh, if you listen to that, it sounds like you're praying to a stranger. Well, that's something that you can change. Richard, thank you. I'm glad you're interested. Let's go to our first phone call uh, Roxanne from San Antonio on line one. Thanks for calling, Roxanne. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi. Hey, hi there. I'll try to be quick with my question. Um, this is just something that's heavy on my heart. I um, have two children, and they've gone to some Christian schools here in San Antonio. And this year, um, we started kind of a homeschool deal that didn't didn't work out for one of my children. Long story short. They're enrolled in a Lutheran school here. I enrolled them, and I am I am not Lutheran, and um, it's a great school. But academically, it's wonderful. However, with most schools that are connected to a church, they have a this is a member rate, non-member rate, and it is very expensive. Um, and they they do that because they want you to attend church. And in my heart, I cannot join because of of a discount. Um, but even more than mm-hmm. that, uh, but, but yeah, we need the discount and it really, we, we do because we just do. Um, and when one, my husband and I, we just, we don't both have to, but of course they want you to attend. And I guess my question is I'm, I'm very torn. First of all, I have to be true to the Lord and honor him before anything else. And I've been very honest to them. I said, I just doctrinally, I went to the class that they, you know, and not shame on me not knowing some of my church history and seeing some of the doctrine. Of course, they go over baptism and communion in their beliefs all. And um, I have an expositor's Bible that I really like a lot. And um, when they were talking about certain things, such as water baptism and, and the scripture, I think it's, um, I don't know where it's at, but it talks about, don't you know, you were baptized in Christ. And they take it as the literal water. So they do this. So, mm-hmm. Doctrinally, I just don't have the same beliefs completely. Now, fun, though, the school is good. The kids are doing well, um, but I'm struggling there, I guess. It's almost like, you know, I was struggling with that. And then also my children, 
the other second thing, I have to be true to my to the Lord and to myself, but I don't want to confuse my children doctrinally. And so there will be the catechism class, uh, not that they don't have to do that, but they'll learn the Lutheran doctrine um, about things. And I just, you'll talk to many different people, and many pe- different people will tell you different things, and I keep in my heart, um, I, I just, what is your thought? Do you think that it will be, would be too confusing for children that they've never, they have to explain Ash Wednesday and all of those things and say, well, that's what they learned? Do you think that's enough because of the school? It's, it, it's great. Yeah. Well, Roxanne, my heart goes out to you because this is the, the reason that we started a free school here uh, at Calvary Chapel uh, 20 years ago. Um, and um, uh, when I say free, I mean it's completely free. We don't charge for books, for uniforms, for anything. Um, and uh, and I did it because I just two things that were killing me. One is that there were there were Christian kids sitting in churches that had Christian schools, and the parents couldn't afford to send them there. And I just thought that was just the worst representation of Christ ever. The second thing is. Um, um, doctrinally, you, you are exposing children to uh, tired religion. You're exposing uh, kids to, to doctrine that is unsound, um, and, and and that's never healthy. That's never healthy. We have some really good schools in San Antonio that are Catholic schools, and we had a parent one time say, "Well, well, what if we wanted to take them to the Catholic school?" And, and basically, I, I told them that you know, if you do that, you're teaching your kids idolatry. And and I feel very similar uh, with regard to Lutheran schools. Lutheran doctrine is so problematic. They believe in infant baptism, not only infant baptism, but, but regenerational infant baptism. Uh, they believe in uh, the, the, the elements of the church. One of the, the strong tenets is that the, the, the uh, cup and the, and the bread becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Um, right, right. Jesus said, take this, this, eat, this is my body. Um, um, and, and they show no understanding. And, you know, by and large, and I'm going to upset some people when I say this, but you look around and Lutheran churches are empty and they're dead and uh, they're filled with good people. And they're going to heaven, but they're missing out on so much. It's just quick, short gospel messages. And they're not equipping their people to deal with life day after day. Uh, as things come by. And I've watched a lot of people in those kinds of churches who, when really tough circumstances come along, um, uh, they're crushed because they simply don't have the foundation of faith, that that strong foundation to to sort of guide them through those difficult times. So, Roxanne, I I don't know what to say. I, I would not be comfortable if it was my grandchildren having them in a Lutheran school. I wouldn't want them catechized. Uh, and I certainly never, ever, ever uh, can find an excuse for exposing kids to bad doctrine. Uh, so, so I don't know what you do. You know, I don't know what part of town you live in. Get your kids on the waiting list here at Calvary Chapel. But we've been doing this for 20 years. Our kids are challenged academically. They excel. We have 100% college placement over over all of these years. That we've started graduating seniors. We actually started K through six for the first year and added a grade every year. Um, and um, um, I, I just I think doctrine is important. No, nobody has to believe in what I believe in to be saved, or even to thrive in their walk with the Lord. But I think with children. Um, um, they're so pliable, they're so flexible. I, I think they would get burned out on Jesus simply because there's just no life in the churches. Right, right. I hear you. That's that's been a hard, it's been a hard hard deal for me. And I I see the good, and I see but I see the other, and and so I I really honor you. Actually, you baptized me in 2013, and so. <laughs> oh wow! I, uh, did I? I, yes, you did. Yes, you did. I when I was uh, so so happy and proud of that. But I I, I live kind of out well, wordy. I live out where y'all baptized. Yeah. I live kind of far, and so that's always an issue. And and uh, but I yeah. really that does mean a lot. I I, <laughs> I just wanted to know. Thank you for for answering my question. Okay, Roxanne. I'm so sorry. I'll be praying for you. And thanks for staying in touch. That's very nice of you. Yes. God bless you. You too. Thanks, Roxanne. Those are so hard, those questions. You know, uh, if if the Lord would ever give me the bazillion dollars I keep praying about, I'd open up 10 schools. I, I'd just let everybody come. I, I don't want anybody to have to pay for what Jesus gave us freely. 
And um, uh, my heart is so for these kids, uh, especially in the world that we're raising them in. They truly need to have a foundation that is immovable, unshakable. And uh, unfortunately, that's just not the case in a lot of them. And and I'm going to repeat this. I think it is um, spiritually criminal for churches, especially churches with means. We don't have any money. There's churches in San Antonio, Texas that are huge, huge churches and get so much money and they charge um, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month for a Christian education. How do we ever justify that before the Lord? Roxanne, I'm praying. Thank you for calling. Let's go to my friend Tanya in San Leandro, California. Tanya, thanks for calling. Good to hear from you. Hi, Papa Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing well for an old dude. You're not an old dude. You're like fine wine. You get better with age. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I don't drink wine, but that's what I hear. Okay. I have yeah. a question for you, Pastor Ron. What, okay. Where did the term first lady come from when it comes to a church? I have a very dear friend, and, and uh, she started attending a church, and, and – um, very charismatic type of pastor hasn't said i've listened to a few sermons hasn't said anything that's that is um in direct opposition to god's word that's just a couple sermons i heard but where did the first lady term come from and i i know it's not it's not anything that we should be doing and i she she she's asked for my opinion and i've refrained from saying anything until i can get a better understanding of where this all came from and I know that okay. uh, I've heard that term before used, but I've never really thought about where did that come from? <laughs> I'm laughing. I got a picture of Paula because I know Paula's at home listening to the program and she's laughing and uh, she's laughing because she gets called first lady quite often. Uh, and we always say, no, I'm not the first lady. She also gets called Pastor Paula often. Uh, Because people come from different church backgrounds, and in particular, Tanya, when when they come from a black church background, it's just a a a term of respect and endearment. Uh, uh, I think wrongly elevates uh, somebody uh, over the rest of the body, and we're pretty sensitive to that kind of uh, greeting here at Calvary Chapel, to be sure. we have to give people a break because they mean well. They they think they're being... It would be the same for me as if somebody called me reverend. I'm the least reverend person ever. And yet uh, people call reverend. It's a title of honor and respect. And and I nicely correct people. No, I'm pastor on. Um, but, but with this idea of first lady, it's just a, a, a tradition that uh, has come mainly out of the black church in the United States. Uh, and they mean well by it, but they do wrong. So uh, I'm not, uh, we we immediately, immediately correct people when they say anything like that here uh, at Calvary Chapel. And yet at the same time, we have to give people grace and give them the benefit of the doubt because this is the way they were raised. And when people come up at our church, um, we have quite a lot of African-Americans in our church. And when they come up and, and greet Paula, uh, oh, you're the first lady. Uh, we're very sensitive and very thoughtful and considerate when we correct them because we know they mean well and we don't want, to, want them to misunderstand our heart. We're just trying to let them know that our church is not about a pastor and it's not about uh, the first lady. Our church is all and only about Jesus. Um, uh, my producer research department just says the term first lady would not come to be common uh, until the late 1800s, um, Harriet Lane, niece uh, of uh, the of president, the bachelor, uh, she was a president, wasn't married. Uh, James Buchanan was the first woman to be called first lady while actually serving in that position. So um, that's, I think, probably where it comes from, Tanya. Hope that helps. Thank you. It does. Thank you, Papa Ron. I'm praying for you guys. Take care. Thank you. We need it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Carlos from the Northeast side. 
Um, Pastor Ron, I have a question. Can you explain Luke ten nineteen for me? I'm confused about what Jesus meant by snakes and scorpions. I'm not sure if he means the actual animal and insect or just evil people. Uh, Carlos, a great question. And by the way, this Sunday, we start in Luke chapter 10. So I'm going to be dealing with this. I'm only going to get the first 16 verses this Sunday. And then the following Sunday, I'll get this. So this is fresh in my mind and heart. Um, I think Jesus means a little bit of both. Um, Remember, he's protecting them. He's sending these people out. These aren't his disciples. He's already sent his disciples out two by two. Now he sends 70 others out, and and they would be frightened. I mean, they, they would not have the same experience the disciples have. They wouldn't have the same background walking with Jesus or being taught by Jesus. And so there were a lot of things to be fearful of, bandits, and, and they would be, have to be fearful of, of uh, wildlife. And this is Jesus just letting them know that uh, if they get bit by a snake, if scorpions are out there, don't worry about them. I'm going to protect you. This is sort of like Jesus um, uh, sealing the, the 144,000 in the last days, the Great Tribulation. Uh, they are invincible. They can't be hurt. And I think just for this trip, um, he was protecting them against snakes and scorpions. But I also think um, your discernment is working, Carlos, because he's also protecting them from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. So I think there's sort of a double entendre there. Uh, I think he's protecting them. If a snake's going to bite him, they're going to be fine. But I also think he's warning them about uh, snakes. Uh, In the the gospel accounts, he calls the same religious leaders a brood of vipers. And so I think he's protecting them from both He's telling them that I got you on this. He tells them you don't have to take any food. Don't take any money. I'm I'm providing for you the whole step of the way. And uh, I I think this is just naturally um, delivering them from the fear of all of the things that are out there that could harm them. Again, this was a one-time only thing. Now, Carlos, you know, you've heard um, uh, in our church culture, um, in the con- in this country, we have snake handling churches. You know, they'll handle rattlesnakes and claim if you have enough faith, it won't bite you. If it does bite you, have enough faith, it won't hurt you because that's what Jesus is. He's not talking about that at all. This is a one-time offer of protection uh, for a one-time ministry uh, excursion uh, in Luke chapter 10. By the way, Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that has this story in the gospel accounts. I think that's interesting. Luke is writing, showing the, the, the humanity of Jesus, Son of Man being Jesus' favorite title. Uh, and Jesus the man knows that men are afraid. Women are afraid when we go out to minister. We always want to know what's going to happen to us, who's going to provide for us. This is a, a picture saying, I got you when I send you. I got you. Now, we obviously know that doesn't mean bad things won't happen when you're ministering because that does happen. But um, I think importantly, uh, in this particular ministry uh, trip, um, he was just saying, trust me and testing their faith. And it worked out, as you know. Thank you, Carlos. I appreciate it. Here's a question from our email inbox from Nacho. Nacho, I love this question. He says, is grumbling a sin? If I grumble in my thoughts, arguing back and forth with myself in my mind, is that sinful? Just like harboring hate is a sin or lust is grumbling the same, even if I keep it to myself. Nacho, the answer to your question depends entirely on the condition of your heart. Now, one of the least valuable things we can do is argue with ourselves in our mind. We're to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. But we can't help the thoughts that come in. Often those thoughts are brought in by an outside force, a sinister outside force, the enemy of our souls. So here's the thing you got to do. Ask the Lord to take that grumbling nature that so many of us have, and I include me in that. And and we need to put a grip on it. Lord, don't let that come out of my mouth. And then we can take it to the next step. Okay, you've protected me from embarrassing myself before others. But now, Jesus, what I'm asking you to do is take that out of my heart and out of my mind. And what will happen? The Holy Spirit will start to check your heart 
um, as soon as the thoughts come in, and then you can go through the process of taking the thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. So natural grumbling is natural for all of us. Um, what we do when we grumble in our, under our breath, that's what determines whether or not it's a sin. So it's very, very important um, uh, keeping it to yourself. Jesus knows everything. Uh, right now in the Gospel of Luke, over and over and over, it says that um, um, Jesus knowing what was in their hearts, or Jesus because he knew the hearts of all men, different ways of referring to that. So you can grumble, and that grumbling spirit, Jesus knows about it. And if you grumble without repent, if you grumble without change, then it does become sin. And it's a particularly destructive sin because it destroys your attitude. Hope that helps, Nacho. It's a great, great question. We have 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. You're listening to the Word of Santa for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final 30 minutes today 340-9585 for your live calls and questions and you're more interesting than i am so that would be great here's a question from our email inbox from scott uh, what will Moses and Elijah look like during the tribulation while they're in Jerusalem? Will they be in physical bodies like ours? What will they be doing during that length of time? And then he's got questions, food, question mark, rest, question mark. I'm not quite sure uh, what that is, Scott. Uh, but I can tell you what they're going to look like. They're going to look just like you and me with a decidedly Jewish flavor. They're going to be dressed like Old Testament prophets. The whole point is to get the attention of Jews. Remember, the church is going to be in heaven during that time, but they're not going to be in their glorified bodies. They will be in physical bodies like ours. Now, a couple of things. We know they're going to be preaching. We know that they're going to come under attack, and we know that fire is going to come from them, and they're going to destroy those who try to come. Imagine how frustrating it is for the man that we call the Antichrist uh, every time he tries to kill them, the people that he sends. Remember when they sent people to Elijah? And Elijah, did, they all died. Fire came down from heaven. Well, that's exactly what they're going to be doing. They're going to be preaching. They're going to be witnessing. Um, there will be uh, students around them, and they'll be teaching. And they're going to be doing that for three and a half years. Uh, at the end of the three and a half years middle of the Great Tribulation, they're going to be killed and their bodies, and this is important because you asked the question about their physical bodies, their bodies are going to be desecrated, their bodies are going to be dragged through the streets. Uh, the idea is they're, they're, they're going to be insulted uh, and their bodies desecrated and then suddenly the breath of life will enter those physical bodies again and they will be caught up in the air. Uh, I think slowly, not like a rapture, but they'll be caught up in the air and, and uh, ascend from the sight of the people who are there. And the idea there is to really, really uh, strike the fear of God in those who are uh, trying to destroy them. And their tormentors will be Jewish. Their tormentors will be um, the, the, the forces of the Antichrist, uh, people from around the other nations. Um, but, but it's amazing things, Scott. The whole world is going to see those bodies with the breath of life ascending into heaven. It's an amazing thing to consider. But that's what they're going to be doing. Uh, I don't imagine uh, food or rest will be a priority. They know the time is short. Remember, they come from the presence of the Lord, and they are going to be anxious to get back. So uh, they know they're on a mission from God, and I just, it's a fascinating time to study. 
Hope that answers your question, Scott. Thank you. Let's go to Cindy calling from San Antonio on line one. Cindy, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I have a bunch of I wonder kind of questions, a few. And I'm wondering about in the Garden of Eden, where the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil was, there was an angel to protect them. And do you think that those trees uh, got destroyed in the flood? That's one of my questions. And the tree of life, could that be the same tree that's in Revelation for the healing of the nations? Mm-hmm. And then I started to wonder about the animals. That when, when Adam and Eve fell and they had to leave the garden, I'm guessing all the animals had to leave with them. And I'm wondering, when did the animals start to turn on each other and, and how... How it would have been for them having all these animals where they're pets, and all of a sudden their the lions are chasing deers and the cats are chasing birds, and <laughs> and, and and I'm just wondering uh, what what do you think happened? And I, Cindy, I got I got to tell you, I I got to tell you, Cindy, your brain is an exciting place to live. It, it believe me, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you go. Well, you know, my husband always says, "Be careful what you ask for, because you might get it." <laughs> and you wanted to call yeah. in. Uh, questions. So there you are. Okay, I'll Cindy, thank you. You go this uh, and I'll get off the phone. Okay, thanks, Cindy. Let me deal with uh, the the uh, the animals turning on animals first, because um, you know we don't think about these things. We 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 see Adam and Eve naked, then we see them ashamed because they know they're naked. The the glory of God, the glory of unfallen man, covered their nakedness. Um, and then the next time we see them, they're 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 uh, covering their private parts with fig leaves, and God lets them know that's not going to cut it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And um, so, um, with the curse, animals begin to die. The next time we see Adam and Eve, they're covered with the skins of animals. I want you to think for a minute, Cindy, and everybody in the audience, how traumatic it would be for Adam and Eve to have been placed in this perfect garden unfallen glory and suddenly they had to kill one of their pets and God gave Adam dominion over the animals so so they were like pets and yet to cover his sin the cost was the life of an animal that was the first animal sacrifice can you imagine the horror the screaming the screeching of the animal can you imagine what it must have been like for Adam to have to do it and then to cover their nakedness with the animal skins. So with the curse came all of that. And how long it took before animals started eating animals, uh, I don't know. But but we know that's a part of the curse. That part of the curse, Cindy, is going to be reversed in the millennial kingdom. The lion will lay down with the lamb. And, and so all of that will be changed. Um, with regard, we, we're going to keep your time frame correct. Uh, with regard to the angel who protected the the garden or the tree of the of of life, that's um, um, to keep them from eating it again. That 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 would have been there after the fall that he was placed there. It would have been no uh, need for that angel before the fall, but after uh, God knew that if that tree of life remained unprotected, that they could go in there and eat it, and they would live forever in their sin, and there could be nothing worse than that so um, so that that angel now whether or not that's the same tree I know credible people who believe that God took that tree before the flood took that tree out of the garden and and that's the same tree in heaven we don't have any way of knowing that um, what, what we do know is that um, the, the, the river of life uh, the tree of life all of that will be there for us uh, when we get there to be with Jesus I think both in the millennial kingdom and in um, the um, uh, new heaven and the new earth. So, uh, Cindy, I hope that helps. You had the first question I forgot. My producer's looking at it. The tree destroyed in the flood. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the tree destroyed in the flood. Uh, we, we know, you know, people have tried to find the Garden of Eden based on the rivers uh, that are named... Um, but but remember, all the topography would have been uh, rearranged completely uh, because of the flood. So there's no way that we could ever go find it. And uh, it, it certainly isn't uh, the same Garden of Eden that we know about. So um, 
we know where the Tigris River is as an example, but remember all of the river patterns and everything else with a change in the floods, so nobody's ever going to find it. Cindy, thanks for great questions. Let's go to New Braunfels and talk with Naomi on line two. Naomi, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi. I met a young man by the name of Jordan who listens to the program on a regular basis. In talking with him, he appeared to have a concern about pre-trib and post-trib rapture. So I called today to ask if you would address that on his behalf. By the way, I invited him to Calvary Chapel, San Antonio. Oh, bless your heart. Thank you. I'll listen on the air and see. Um, Hopefully he's listening today and maybe he can get an answer from that. Thank you, Naomi. God bless you. Um, Let me say at the outset that it is impossible for um, the rapture of the church to come post-trib, after the Great Tribulation. Now, here's why. The Great Tribulation, it's in the Old Testament referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of Jacob's distress. It's described as a place that is worse or a time that's worse than ever has been or ever will be again. It's where the wrath of God, an angry God, He's judging sinful mankind in the Great Tribulation. And uh, if it were true, Naomi, that um, God could pour out his wrath on those of us who are pleasing to him, those of us who are without sin from heaven's perspective, those of us who are covered by the blood of Jesus then that would make God unjust. That would make God unjust. Think about that for a moment. Is it even possible that God would judge us with the wicked? Well, according to 1 Thessalonians, the answer is no. Look at the the, the, the pronouns. Uh, but we, and then it's them over and over and over. We are not appointed unto salvation, or uh, uh, under wrath, but appointed unto salvation. So the them, they're the objects of God's wrath. Why? Because they've rejected Jesus Christ. Now, we can also go back way farther into Genesis 18 and 19 when Jesus appears uh, to Abraham. He's got his two destroying angels with him. And um, um, when when God, because he's telling Abraham, his friend, everything, he says, we're going to go find out if the sin in Sodom is as bad as we hear it is. Now, obviously, they knew that, but but he says, we're going to go judge him. And remember what Abraham said. He said, will the righteous God of the universe destroy the wicked? Or, I'm sorry, destroy the righteous with the wicked. And God's answer, Jesus' answer was no. And that's when they began the negotiating. If I can find 50, if I can find 40 righteous, I won't destroy it. It went all the way down to 10 and then below. And, and, and the problem was there was only eight people there. Lot who didn't live a righteous life, at least it didn't look like that, but we know that Peter in the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls him righteous Lot, who is vexed in his spirit by all of those uh, wicked things around him. So while we would call him a backslider, at the same time, his heart was broken. And so Lot had to leave before the judgment could rain down. And there's so many other pictures uh, in in the the uh, Old Testament about God sparing his people while judging other people. In the book of Exodus, over and over, the plagues fell upon everybody except the people of Israel. Egypt was bombarded. Egypt is a type of the world. And I could go on and on and on with this, but it, all you have to do is look at uh, the the the... Thessalonian passages regarding uh, the rapture of the church. Uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51, uh, and instantly we're out. And I know people say, yeah, but God said we'll have tribulation in this world, but he never said we'd have great tribulation. The difference between having troubles or being persecuted uh, in this world and great tribulation is just the the result of of fallen man and sin versus the wrath of God. And so, Naomi, you can tell your friend, and if he's listening, I'll tell you, that it is impossible 
for God to judge us twice. Remember now, his wrath was poured out on his own son for us. Jesus took our place. And if the great tribulation were to start today and we Christians found ourselves here, well, then we'd be subject to God's wrath all over again and we're not appointed unto wrath. That's very important, Naomi. Uh, one final thought here, if, if uh, uh, he has access to uh, our website, calvarysa.com, uh, you can go to Revelation chapter 4. Always the very first study that I do in Revelation chapter 4, it's just one verse, and, and uh, it, it is a detailed study on the rapture, and it will be a 40 or 45-minute study that's worth, worth your time. So, Naomi, thank you very much, and thank you for sharing um, Jesus with, with people that you're meeting. Let's go to San Marcos now and talk with Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Ron, thanks for taking my call. I've got a, it's a topic I call in with all the time, and I don't know if you've memorized it by now, but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy believism. Um True and false conversion, it's uh, say the prayer, okay, you're saved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I was listening to Sunday afternoon, KSLR, the show that's on. I'm not going to tell you which show it was because I don't okay. want to publicly say it, but I might email you later. But during that show, they were just, <laughs> they were talking. It was pre-recorded. I tried to call in, but they said, no, it's pre-recorded. But they were, mm-hmm. you know. They accepted Christ. What, what, what does that mean? Well, uh, you know, we led them. We led them in the sinner's prayer. Welcomed them into, you know, God's family, eternal life, and all that. And I'm thinking, oh, that was quick. Oh, you don't just, you know, introduce a stranger and say, okay, you're saved because you said this prayer. And and it, I think our our nation, the United States version of Christianity, is kind of eaten up with it. And the reason I say this is because I wasn't born again until I was 43 years old after I was politely confronted by my pastor. So, like mm-hmm. I said, I'll email you what the show was and all that. I don't want to call them out publicly. Okay. You know, I just realized I shouldn't do it publicly. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's out there, and it is scary because of we will face God's judgment if yep. we are not born again. And so there you go. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Um, uh, you know, and Jim does call about this um, uh, very subject from time to time. But but here's why. Is, can you hear his heart? You, you see, we in the West, we have a tendency to treat um, uh, an altar call uh, as though it were uh, an eternal life insurance policy. And the problem is it's a policy that won't get cashed. It won't get paid because it's bogus. And we have people all the time who make professions of faith. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus describes these people. Uh, four types of soil, uh, the soil representing human hearts, uh, the seed, it hits the soil and the things. Well, some receive it at once with joy. And we would say, oh, boy, those people are saved. But one of the things that's important, Jim, is that we let people know what they're saying yes to. Now, here at Calvary Chapel, I'm just going to give you an example of how we do it here. When I give an invitation, um, people come forward to receive Christ. We always have somebody, uh, these are the men and the women from my pastor's discipleship class, the way the women come up with women and men come up and stand with men. But when they come forward and they're standing in front of the, the, the stage, um, uh, it'll take just a few seconds and there will be somebody there with them and we welcome them into the body of Christ. If they've accepted the invitation, we're not making a pronouncement of their faith. We're just saying that they've opened the door. Now the rest is up to them. And those men and women who are standing with them will take them into a place and pray with them and then explain to them what it means to be saved. Well, a lot of people come up um, because they're emotional. Uh, they come up because their life's a mess. And that sounds like a good resolution to their problem. But when we start telling them that when you meet Jesus, you got to change. If you're living with somebody you're not married with, if you're having sex with somebody you're not married with, if you're doing drugs, if you're drinking, those kind of things, you got to stop doing those things. And Christ in you, the hope of glory, will empower you to do those things. Uh, And a lot of times when people realize that, oh, what do you mean? I can't live the way I want. Well, then 
that rely on an altar call. But not here at Calvary Chapel. What we tell them is, um, you meet Jesus, you've got to change. We come to him on his terms, not on our terms. And it is frightening to me how many people, and I'm saying it happens even here at Calvary Chapel. People will come up um, thinking, okay, I got my ticket into heaven and thinking they don't need to change at all. And we make sure they understand that's simply not the case here. Believing means more than just intellectual assent. Believing means more than being dunked in water or or even uh, saying the sinner's prayer. Believing means accepting Jesus for who he is. He's the Lord God Almighty. And when we understand that, then we understand further that he owns us. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. We no longer have the freedom of choice. We can obey or disobey and suffer the consequences. And certainly Christians disobey all the time, real Christians. However, the real Christian, when he or she continues to sin, after they've really met Jesus, they know they're wrong and it it hurts their heart. So, Jim, I'm with you 100%. Um, um, again, we welcome them to the family of God. Uh, we want them to know that salvation is easy. God makes it simple, but that it costs a lot. Jesus paid the price, but it costs a lot. And when we come to Christ, it's the end of us and the beginning of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And make no mistake, uh, when I give invitations, I make it really clear what it means to be born again. Except a man be born again, he will in no ways inherit the kingdom of God. That comes right out of Jesus' mouth. Two times in John chapter 3, and he's talking to the most religious man in all of Jerusalem at that particular point. Jim, thank you, and keep your heart right where it is. 340-9585. Let's go to a question from Natalie. She says, uh, how can I have faith like Jesus? Uh, Natalie, Jesus didn't have faith. Jesus didn't need faith. Jesus was God. Jesus trusted in his Father. So here's what I want to change your question to. I want you to have faith in Jesus, not faith like him. Faith in him. So it's not a matter of you can go heal people or cast out demons um, uh, it's not a, a proposition where you're, you're suddenly never going to be afraid again. Um, have faith in Jesus. Learn who he is and what he's done. Learn how complete the gift that he's given you really is. Spend time with him and you'll have faith. Let me give you one other um, alternative here. In order to have our faith grow, remember faith in Jesus, not faith like Jesus. But in order to have our faith grow, we have to give God a chance to prove that he's trustworthy. And what that means is when we get to a place where we think we've got to make a decision, we've got to say, no, Lord, I'm not going to make this decision. It's, it's up to you. What do you want me to do? It's the end of self-will. And you, you, there's times, and I've explained many times on this program how many times I've been here, where you feel like you're going to fall off the edge of the world. And Jesus lets you know, I'm here with you. So let's fall together. But he always saves. He always rescues. And your faith will grow. So Natalie, I hope that makes sense. Not faith like Jesus, but faith in Jesus. This will be, I think, probably the last question today. It's from Ed. What is irresistible grace? Well, Ed, it's a lie, first of all. Uh, it is uh, the I in tulip, uh, one of the five points of, of Calvinism, hyper-Calvinism. And um, what it means is simply, or the Calvinist view is that if God sets his grace upon somebody to be saved, they're going to be saved no matter what. They have no say-so in the matter. And Calvinists always view the world as through, through, through one of two lenses. Either you're elect, chosen, or you're not. If you're not, there's nothing you can do. If you are, then there's nothing you can do to lose uh, the gift of God. 
the problem with is, is this is that we know God's grace is resisted every day by everyone. God's grace is resisted on the pages of our Bible all through the entirety of our Bible. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have to say, quench not the Holy Spirit of God. We resist God's grace for living all of the time. And I know people that it's God's will that everyone is saved. But most people aren't going to be saved. Why? Because God's grace evidently is resistible. So it's a very important thing. Uh, Ed, when you're reading your Bible, don't look at it through a Calvinist systematic theology. Read the Bible. Read out loud what it says. And then just figure out what it means. These are not hard issues. Irresistible grace. I have no choice in the matter. Well, if I have no choice in the matter, if God chose me from before the foundations of the world without giving me a choice, well, then he's created nothing more than a spiritual robot. And, of course, that would not be pleasing to the Lord. Compelled love is not love at all. And so, Ed, what he wants to do is he wants us to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness and come to him. You don't think God's grace is resistible? Just spend a couple hours one day sharing Jesus with people and you find out just how much resistance to God's grace there really is. So it's a bad doctrine. The whole Calvinist doctrine is um, harmful, Ed. Not, not heresy, but it's harmful. Hey, appreciate the calls today. Appreciate the questions. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow, 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.